Welcome to the Game Plan Podcast with Judah Newby and Brian Perkins, breaking down all things Seahawks. Short week for the Seattle Seahawks, and you could argue a must-win scenario if the team wants to compete for an NFC wildcard spot at the end of the year. Here we go. It's coming up to the final seven games, and it begins this Thursday night against Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. He's Brian Perkins. I'm Judah Newby. This is the Game Plan Podcast on 1029thegame.com. Perkins, we were in here 48 hours ago breaking down the close loss at the LA Rams. Here we go. Short week. You have to process that. You got to move on. You got a game plan. And in comes the Green Bay Packers at 4-4-1 four, four and one with one of the best quarterbacks in all of football. The, the farther we get removed from the past couple of weeks, the better I feel about Seattle moving forward. Could they end up turning into a playoff team? Possibly. Could they be the kind of middling 7-9 win team? That's also very possible. But they have put themselves in a position, even though they are sub-500 right now, they are playing th- the three teams that lead them in the wild card race in the next, you know, month, you know, they have the Packers. Now you have the Panthers and the Vikings all coming up. This is your chance. If you're the Seahawks to seize this moment. Yes. You need a few other things to fall your way. The Panthers obviously still uh, a cut would be a couple games ahead of them. Assuming Seattle wins that game. But I think right now you're feeling pretty good. Seattle's been competitive in the games that they've lost against very good football teams. And you have a lot of home games, the final month plus of the season and you're playing teams where you control your own destiny based on what happens against them. Yeah, we'll get to news and notes, do a matchup zone, a quick remember when. There's nothing to choose from between these two teams and remember when. No rivalry here. None, none, uh, especially not in Seattle. And then uh, we'll uh, make a pick and a prediction for this game. We'll also get to some game note theory, as always. Uh, first news and notes. I mean, basically, like the injury reports are kind of rushed this time, but Seattle was without Chris Carson down in L.A., but... Mike Davis ended up performing really well down in L.A., and especially Rashad Penny. You know, if Chris Carson isn't able to go, then you still got two backs that have showed you you can rely on them. It looks like Carson's going to be able to go. Uh, Fluker is, according to Carroll, on pace to play as well this week. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I think the way Penny played, I mean, you're you're feeling really good about your running back depth, aren't you? I think so. Right now. You should be. And on it, I mean, you could argue that Penny has – or could replace Mike Davis as the number two guy. I mean, um, not, not that one game should necessarily dictate that, but he played well enough. I think that he's proven that he is kind of caught up with the NFL speed. Maybe he's dropped a few pounds, and and man, he has good vision out there on the field. So uh, it's exciting, you know, for a team that's first in the league in rushing that clearly wants to still have that identity as a rushing football team. You have depth at that position. That's really important, especially we're talking week ten. Week 11 of the of the NFL season, and you have a three-deep running back core that you feel good about right now, that's unheard of. Well, and just because they're healthy does not automatically translate into production. There still is a good problem to have for Brian Schottenheimer and company of which running back to play and when. You could argue that Penny didn't get enough touches given his production on Sunday, but that's a hard thing to balance, seeing as he hadn't scored a touchdown yet all year, too. So... You know, you still got to be able to play the right guy at the right at the right time, and those guys have to be ready. And there were criticisms there for sure, and I think rightfully so during that game where you see Penny play well, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, Procise is in there. 
right. the next round. And, and well, you know, you know, he's got half the playbook. <laughs> yes, yeah. They talk about a guy that just has become inconsequential. But I mean, it's just there were some bizarre decisions there. But you're right. I mean, you got to figure out who fits when and where. And and with Carson's injury, is he 100? percent Is he 75? percent But he's going to make a go of it. You know, how many carries is he going to get? But the great thing is with that is that you now have the flexibility as a play caller to insert who you feel best fits, you know, those different plays. Right. And then KJ Wright did not practice. He's got that knee injury that he's working with. So we'll see if he's able to go on a short week. Um, and DJ Fluker was a full participant, as you had mentioned earlier. So, you know, hopefully Seattle will be as close to fully healthy as they can be. If KJ Wright can't go, it's a big absence on that part of the defense. But uh, if, especially with no Kendricks until the Minnesota game and, um, you know, Shaquem Griffin still coming along. But we'll have to be on the lookout for that. This is a must win. I mean, I'm just saying right now, this is a must win game for Seattle. So whoever is healthy enough to go needs to go, uh, assuming that they're not going to hurt themselves further or anything like that. Because, uh, I mean, th- at this point, certain games are 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 playing games almost to a certain extent, and this is one of them. You lose this game, it ain't happening. Jimmy Grimm's return to Seattle. He was a did not participate in practice this week, so we'll keep an eye on him as well as uh, Randall Cobb did not practice or Kevin King, their corner, who's making a homecoming of sorts for him too. Got yeah. gone to uh, University of Washington. So those are uh, some of the major injuries of note, and let's get into the matchup zone right away. And the three big matchups that we see between the Seahawks and Green Bay Packers and Perkins, I'll go ahead and let you uh, have the honors. Let's start with Seattle's first. Third down offense, a story Ooh. all season, right? Uh, you know, when you have the the run run pass formula that um, has become less prevalent over over the, the the last few weeks, it's not necessarily just run run pass run run pass run run pass. But you see Seattle facing a lot more third downs than your average team in the NFL right now, and unfortunately, they're twenty second in the NFL in third down conversions, just converting thirty seven and point five percent of the time. So. You know, this is going to be something I think really to keep an eye on in this game. Uh, this is such a great rivalry, by the way, right between Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson, two of the highest passer ratings in NFL history. Uh, they're three and three against each other. We talk about all the big games. I think all of those are three and zero at home each, right? Seattle's yeah, number one yeah. in Green Bay, yeah. and Green Bay's number one in Seattle. Yeah, and Seattle's lost three straight to the mm-hmm. Packers on the road, mm-hmm. obviously, and. You know, you think about going all the way back to the fail Mary, obviously the NFC Championship game that everyone remembers. The following year, Seattle beats them down at home, and then uh, some controversial calls in the ensuing game. I think the next season in Green Bay, or the Packers won. I mean, there's just been a lot of drama in these games, and this is one of the best quarterback rivalries that I think in the NFL currently. Yeah, I, mean, I think so. I don't. I don't think Aaron Rodgers likes Russell Wilson very much. Or what he represents. I could be totally off on that, but you've gotten that sense. I mean, this is very anecdotal. Russell Wilson, a very outspoken Christian in terms of religious uh, beliefs. Aaron Rodgers has been an outspoken, um, not, uh, not maybe, maybe a football atheist, but he was asked, remember this a, f- a yeah. few years ago? Russell Wilson, I think, said something about, you know, God allowed us to get this win. Yeah. And it, Opens up a, a tremendous conversation that I, I uh, I'm still fascinated by of what role God or you know Big G Little G God has in determining the outcome of sporting events because <laughs> it's you know, well, it depends get... if you bet the over or the <laughs> under doesn't it 
<laughs> and considering that he's the most high, you would think that it would be the over. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, yeah, I mean, and then Rodgers was pretty outspoken by saying, yeah, no, God's not yeah. invested in football as a response to Wilson's stance. I, you know, they kind of represent antithetical philosophies to the game of football, I think. And even though I, I'm a Christian, I love Russell Wilson, I love Aaron Rodgers' approach to the game yeah. and how detail-oriented, like scientific clutch, and not to even just talk about the sheer talent that he has playing the position, my most favorite quarterback to watch hands down, and I think for the majority of football fans, he's that. Yeah, I mean, Aaron Rodgers is what a lot of Seahawks fans want Russell Wilson to be, right? Like in terms of, you know, though this year Rodgers is not necessarily playing at the level that I think people are expecting him to. Well, I don't know, man. Um, I don't know. Where do you where do you? Uh, well, you know, I mean, early in the year his, with... his numbers were not great. Well, he had the injury. He had the the, the knee injury. Yeah. That he really has seventeen him. touchdowns and one pick this year, so yeah. he's playing pretty well. Yeah. Well, and last week in Miami, we you know he was he was off the charts. And he's probably healthier now yeah. than he was, obviously, at the beginning of the year when he tweaked his knee. But, you know, I, 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 and there was also, by the way, in that story, and I can't remember exactly what it was, but Aaron Rodgers' brother, who he and his brother don't get along. Jordan Rodgers, like, who won the tweeted, Bachelor. Tweeted, yeah. like, some sort of support of Russell Wilson after yeah. that exchange. So, like, there is some weird, <laughs> bizarre, like, petty. Yeah. Aaron Rodgers is fascinating. You know, I, I hurt. I was legitimately hurt when he and Olivia Moon broke up. I loved Olivia Moon and uh or Mun, but I'm pretty sure it's Moon. And because I love the newsroom. Aaron Sorkins, the newsroom, and she starred in it. And when they broke up that that hurt. But, you know, Aaron Rodgers, to be that guy, and you read that some of the stuff, his background coming up with Chico and nobody wanted him. He had to go to JUCO and then Cal. You know, at one point, I've watched Aaron Rodgers give a give a YouTube uh, speech to Elite 11, you know, the group of quarterbacks. And in that speech, I, I have it in my in my uh, audio vault, I'm pretty sure. He says that when he was coming up out of high school, the two main programs that were really taking a good look at him, you'll love this, Perkins, was Linfield and Lewis and Clark. <laughs> Aaron Rodgers. Can you believe that? I mean, I mean, and I just love that little part of his story because everyone comes from somewhere, and and man, to to think that Aaron Rodgers at one point was being coveted by some local area Division three schools here in Portland was is amazing to think about. But he's just kind of an enigma, right? Like he's he's not close to his family. Kind of, he kind of has that. I hate to compare him to this guy because this guy's kind of a d bag, and I don't think Aaron Rodgers is. But he's kind of like Patrick Reed, and like how he he's very like even keeled, right? Like doesn't like remember when all the fans he told the fans R E L A X relax. You know, like I love that. He's just And what do you do after that? One six in a row. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So and you know, and his relationship with his family is a bit estranged or awkward. It's interesting. Yep. And and Patrick Reed in golf, if you follow golf and you know his story, he does not get along at all with his family. He doesn't talk to his family. Um, but he also was like caught stealing and cheating in college. So those are obviously different things from Rogers, but kind of that same off personality a little bit. But like people are kind of drawn to him as well because he's so competitive. Well, he's so competitive. He's so good. And he, he is a thinker, you yeah. know, and I, you know, I, I like that Patrick Reed comparison, though. I haven't heard Patrick Reed speak on anything deeply. Rogers is a deep thinker and is very articulate. Like I, he's got to be a reader. He probably writes in a journal of some sort. Um Fascinating guy to me, man. It's hard not to be wrapped up in 
in him as a as a person. I feel like I'm more fascinated in him than I am in Russell Wilson, like by far. I agree. And that I used to not be that way for the record, but Russell to me like has a lot of has a lot of depth, but also there's reason to believe that uh I'm not I just <laughs> <laughs> by the way, this conversation of Russell Wilson is brought to you by Bose. Yeah, by Bose. Yeah, sorry about that. And American Air, American Airlines, American Family Insurance. <laughs> no, um, but uh, Alaska I, Airlines. It's but do you know what I mean? Yeah, well, and it's funny because I think that with this rivalry that has developed over the last half decade, it feels like as Seahawks fans, we are conditioned to like really dislike certain opponents, right? Like the Packers or whoever. I don't dislike the Packers, and in fact. Outside of Seattle, like if it was the Packers in the playoffs in the NFC and Seattle was not in the playoffs, I would be rooting for Green Bay, probably more more so than any other team in the NFC, yeah. because I like Aaron Rodgers, and I want him to win another Super Bowl. Well, and you think about the fabric of the two franchises, they're arguably woven together between Holmgren and Hasselbeck and Schneider. Yeah. You're talking about three of the most iconic figures in Seahawks franchise history that grew up. In the Green Bay Packer organization, yeah, and so they're they're related, and now Graham plays for them. So yeah, Otto Graham, great Otto, player. Otto was a fantastic player. <laughs> no, I, I get what <laughs> you know what I yeah. you know what I mean. I mean yeah. they're 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 related. I I think of Seattle as, I mean Green Bay is the father, the paternal father of the NFL in a lot of ways. I think Seattle was the second generation Green Bay in some ways too. Yeah, and I mean the rivalry. I'm sure with the remember when we'll talk about it, but I mean think I mean you know. One of my first playoff memories was we'll get the we'll take the ball and we're going to score. You know, no question. I mean, it's it's a very and it does it's a sucky memory, but it was a heck of a game, and Seattle was never supposed to be that close. Which uh, you yeah, know, Matt Matt was awesome, man. I love that attitude. Yeah. All right. Well, that was one of your matchup. We started the matchup zone, right? Uh, yes, yes, yes. Third down, third down offense versus Packers defense. That's a that's the great uh, great one. I'll go sec two minute offense for mine. And oh yeah, I talked to Greg Bell, the Tacoma News Tribune, on one hundred two nine seven fifty the game earlier this week, and I asked him why the end of half end of game situational offense has been so, uh, you know, it's been lackluster, and he said two words: pass protection. Meaning, when Seattle is in obvious passing situations, they can't hold up in pass protection, and I I know that, but I'm not sure if. Um, you know, that's the only reason why they haven't been able to move the ball. But team teams have been able to pressure Seattle in those situations and well what in where they've been obvious passing situations. And maybe that's why Schottenheimer still wants to run the football in the middle of the field with ninety seconds to go to maintain that level of unpredictability, but that just makes it tough, man. Yeah. I mean, because teams are still expecting you to pass, regardless if you ran the ball with 90 seconds left or not. Because if you run the ball with 90 seconds left, guess what? You're not running it again well, well, yeah, with but, 75 but seconds his left. His hope is to, you know, you keep the ball in the middle of the field so it's quicker to the next play, and you probably get And maybe you bust yards, one open. And yeah. you might bust one open. So logically, I do understand that part, that side of it. It's just they haven't been producing, so it's worth questioning it. Well, and what's bizarre is, despite offensive line issues in past years with much worse offensive lines than what Seattle's currently dealing with, they ran one of the better two-minute two offenses in the NFL. I mean, Russell Wilson was so good at the end of halves and at the end of games. Yeah. Um, so uh, I have a hard time believing it's 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 all on the offensive line when we've seen success in spite of that in years past. All right, so you can do third down offense. I've got two-minute offense. Where's your second matchup? Um, you know what? I... Th- <laughs> You know me, I'm not a big, like, 12th man and all that. It's not as much my thing. But 
I do think the Packers are 0-4 on the road this year. All four losses coming on the road, and um, I think that the home crowd can can have an impact in this game. You know, uh, the Packers obviously know CenturyLink quite well, <laughs> having played there uh, many times in the in past seasons. But I think that uh, I think that the crowd's going to have to be loud and be into it and and be that primetime crowd we've come to expect up at the Clink because uh, you know the Packers struggling big time on the road this year. Hopefully, they can continue that trend. My uh, second matchup will be Jimmy Graham coming back to Seattle. And, you know, particularly how do you defend Graham in the red zone? And this was a big signing for Green Bay. And they got him at, I think, the identical price that Seattle had him for a while, 10 mil a year. And uh, he hasn't been producing at the level. Remember last year, it shocked me to read this again, but Jimmy Graham actually led the NFL in red zone touchdowns last year. He had 11 red zone touchdowns, most in the league, more than Gronk, more than anybody. Um, this year he's got two. The other, the guy that's getting all the red zone production is Devonte Adams, who's their top receiver. Adams leads the league in red zone touchdowns. He has eight. So in the red zone, Jimmy Graham. I, I'm interested to see what kind of role he plays in general because of his comeback to Seattle. And but I'm also intrigued to see how the red zone offense for Green Bay operates, how Seattle game plans for Graham, how they game plan for Adams as well. Yeah, tight ends always make me nervous in Seattle. Yeah, they should. So, Especially uh, with uh, KJ being banged up. Yeah, potentially could be a problem. Well, you mentioned Devontae Adams. That's the other one for me uh, versus uh, you know Shaq Griffin, whoever's going to end up guarding him. He's a uh, good player, man. Uh, so good. Two touchdown catches last week. He's Rodgers' go-to guy, especially with Jordy Nelson now gone. Um, really going to have to to find a way to shut him down if you can in this game. or not even You're not going to be able to shut him down. Find a way to limit him <laughs> in some way, shape, or form in this game. And, you know, for as, as impressive and um, overachieving as Seattle's defense has been this year, we've seen them struggle against good quarterbacks. And, uh, you know, I think being able to find a way to to hamper a you know, receiver like Jimmy Graham or, or like Devontae Adams is going to be a big deal. My third and final one will be Seattle's uh, rush offense. I mean, we talked about this before, but Frank Gore had a really, really good first half against Green Bay's rush defense last year. Green Bay's 21st in the NFL in rush defense, allowing over four and a half yards a carry. Yeah. So matchup advantage Seattle. Uh, I'll do a quick 3B. Seattle's run defense uh, that struggled the last two weeks, over seven yards a carry for the Chargers, six and a half yards a carry for the Rams. And here comes Aaron Jones, not a household name, but he leads the league in yards per carry at 6.8. So matchup Green Bay. You could argue the team that wins this game is the team that runs the ball better. Though it's Rodgers Wilson, Green Bay's Aaron Jones is a fine, fine runner. Yeah. By the way, special shout-out to uh, Frank Gore celebrating his 86th year in the NFL. Oh, I, I yeah. time flies. It was yeah. 78 like a minute ago. Yeah. I love Frank Gore, though. For all the rivalries with him, he is a tremendous player. All he right. Is. Time for a Remember When. It's time for Remember When on the Game Plan Podcast. Um, you know, I'll go to the 2014 national title, national title, NFC Championship game. Such a good memory. The massive comeback from being down 16 to 7, 19 to 7, coming back, forcing overtime, thinking of the fake field goal touchdown pass from John Ryan to Gary Gilliam, the onside kick late that bounces off the helmet of Brandon Bostick, Marshawn Lynch. Russell Wilson, and of course the late overtime touchdown pass uh, into the end zone to Jermaine Curse to two win point it. Conversion, the two point conversion to Luke Wilson 
Ha ha Clinton, Clinton Dix. Dix. Yeah, just like a complete like, looper. See, I at that point I think something spiritual has to be happening <laughs> to Clinton Dix. That was terrible. You think Russell Wilson's just looking over at Rogers like like what's up? What's up, man? What's up, man? <laughs> um but the emotions uh that you feel in that game, having already won the Super Bowl and knowing that everything is still in front of you to play in another one, to come back from being that far down at home. I remember that game kicked off at noon. It was so weird to have to play a game at noon West Coast, and because uh, the AFC game was later in the day, and for Seattle to, to win that one, and Russell crying with Aaron Andrews and all the reaction after that, and Curse and Baldwin, and man, it was a special, special game. Man, I, I I'm actually I'm just gonna to, to agree with you, um, because on that remember when because so I remember I surprised my wife. Were we married at that time? No, I think fiance at that time. Uh, with a trip to the beach, we were kind of like scouting places maybe for like honeymoon or whatever, right? So I kind of surprised her. But I said, the only caveat is you have to let me watch, you know, because she does not like sports. But I was like, I need to watch this game, but then we can kind of go do whatever, right? And I'm expecting a good result. It's in Seattle, blah, blah, blah. So I'm having some beverages in our hotel room. We're watching the game. And it's a, a sad drunk for a lot of the game, right? And And my wife falls asleep. I'm in bed, and, and Wilson throws the pick with, like, five minutes left, yeah, four minutes left. That's so weird. I and, I, and I wake her up. Go back and watch that. And I'm, like, telling myself, Brian, you cannot be an a-hole to your wife. I, you promised her good evening. going to be fun. You cannot be, like, grouchy a-hole for the rest of the night because the Seahawks blew it. And so We've I, all been there. And so I wake her up, and I'm like, I'm like, hey, like, why don't you go ahead and get ready? Like, the game's almost over. I just want to, I just want to watch the end because it's the last game of the year. I'm always big, like, even if they're gonna lose, I want to watch it to the end because it's the last time you're gonna see them, right? So she's getting ready, and all of a sudden, the, you know, some things start cooking, and I'm like, you know, eight drinks in at this point because I was like sad drinking, and I've just we're in our little boxy hotel room on the coast, and I start just hooting and hollering, and then of course it goes to overtime, and my wife's like, why did you wake me up? <laughs> Like, this is taking forever, and I'm, you know, and then obviously the touchdown, and I'm, like, running up and down the hallways of our hotel, like, just screaming at the top of my lungs. That is awesome, man. Yeah. You couldn't was... have been the only one. I mean, other people had to have been trying to watch, maybe. Yeah, but probably at, like, a bar. I was just, I don't like watching Seahawks games in public, especially nah. big games like that. No I prefer way. to just do it, in, you know. But, uh, and then the game afterwards was such a letdown with, with Patriots-Colts. The Patriots just blew the doors well, off. It, it was, and, it, and then that became one of the legacy games of the NFL. Yeah, with the uh, Deflate Gate coming out of that game. Yeah, unbelievable. But man, day. yeah, I, I agree though. That that memory will always remind yeah. me of the beach. It will remind me of like yeah. the the feeling. That feeling, obviously, was the antithesis of how we felt two weeks later. But my God, that feeling was incredible. Like that comeback. And it's just you're like, okay, well they scored, they got the two point conversion, but there's no way they're gonna get the. There's no way they're getting the onside kick. And then they get the onside kick, and you're like, holy crap. And then Mason Crosby kick, you're like, okay, now they're going to overtime. You're like, no way they're going to win. Like, they haven't done crap all day on offense. And Russell Wilson, Jermaine Curse, man. I'm fired up just thinking about it. Let's just it. hold on to that memory. Yeah, that's that's Ooh. the best remember when we can uh, we can have. Um, that whole postseason was Cowboys beating the Lions in the wild card on a controversial pass interference later and the Cowboys won that game and then the next week the Cowboys lose to the Packers on the non-Dez catch then the Packers lose to the Seahawks and that miracle and then the Seahawks lose to the Patriots on a miracle like I mean it's 
That whole postseason, uh, it's pretty amazing. Round by round, think had about something the crazy different. catch controversies. Like, like think about Des Bryant, and then the pass interference, and then Jermaine Curse's catch in the Super Bowl. Yeah, off the leg. Like, yeah. what a bizarre postseason! Wow. All right, uh, game note theory with Brian Perkins rolling right along. Dougie Baldwin. Dougie, Dougie, Dougie Fresh. B. He's kind of coming into his own here a little bit. Last you know couple what he weeks. Said yesterday, he said that he woke up pain free for the first time all season, and that he's feeling the best that he has with his knee stuff. And you know what? He's looking better, right? I mean, yeah. I was concerned. I don't know about you, but I thought this would be something that would linger all year, and it might. But we're definitely seeing him a a re-energized Doug Baldwin, without a doubt, and he looks more comfortable out there for sure. And he could uh, surpass, you know, we've been talking about him potentially surpassing John L. Williams for like three freaking months, I feel like. But he needs just six catches to pass him for third all-time on the Seahawks receiving list. So and John L. Williams, just so everyone's clear, was a running back. Yes, yes. <laughs> he was. Yes. <laughs> he is not a conductor. No. He. <laughs> you said that conductor the other day, and I thought of trains. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, you keep thinking that, yeah. He was a... Uh, Um, wow, he's 53, lives down in Florida, by the way. First round pick out of Florida? Wow, I didn't even know that. I should study up on him more. That should just have him speaks, on the podcast sometime. That, that just speaks to Seattle's receiving history. I, I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> um, what was I going to say? No, he was a uh, not a conductor, he's a uh, composer. Yeah, he was a con- he's a conductor as well, but yeah. Uh, of, John a, Williams. of a symphony. Yeah, the Boston Pops. Of yeah, the Boston he, Pops? He conducted the Boston Pops for Gosh, years. I did not know that. But uh, anyway, yes. John L. Williams. So he can pass a running back for third all-time on Seattle. And composer. And Suck composer. <laughs> With six? With six catches. That's okay. all he needs. Can right. easily, easily see that this game. Green Bay does lead the regular seri- season series all-time, 11-7. to seven. Dang. Seattle's lost three straight, which ties the longest losing streak for either team. Pete Carroll, 3-5 and all-time against the Packers as a head coach. So he's 3-3 three and three in Seattle. 0 for 2 in New England and New York as a head coach. I know you were worried about that. I was. A couple stats to match up with these two teams. Packers, the more offensive-minded team this season, 3,600 yards of offense to Seattle's 3,100. That's 7th to 23rd in total offense. Dang. Uh, Yeah, total offense. And by the way, those numbers, if you think that Seattle's offense has improved from last year in terms of total offense, you would be wrong. Seattle was about 15. I think they finished 15, actually, right on the nose last season. So, um Fire Daryl Bevel. <laughs> Hashtag fire Bevel. Now running offense, Seattle's gotten back to their roots, right? They're they're first in the league. And the Packers are pretty pedestrian. Imagine dragons. They're radioactive, the uh the Love Packers it. are. Let's go. Fourteenth in the league, hundred and fifteen yards per game. But as you talked about, uh things are starting to take off a little bit for them. So. Yeah. They're Aaron Jones is an actual asset for sure. Yeah. And then, you know, turnovers the Seahawks have a plus eight turnover differential, which is still fourth in the league, something we talked about last week. Still fourth? Yeah. See. It's tied for fourth. And what's happened the last two weeks, though? No turnovers forced by the defense against the Chargers or the or the Rams, and a critical fourth tor- quarter turnover that's led to an opposition's touchdown. There's your ball game. Yep. And you're facing Rodgers, who's 17-1. to one. Yeah. And unfortunately, turnovers, a lot of times, yes, it can be talent, right? But it, it sometimes can be arbitrary, right? Like a fumble. You got lucky, you punched the ball in the right spot, and you fumble. You do that nine times out of ten, it doesn't work. So if you are a defense relying on turnovers and you're going up against the likes of an Aaron Rodgers, you're going to not have a good day. You mm-hmm. know, 
I think ultimately Seattle's pretty content if they hold them to field goals. <laughs> it kind of feels like it's going to be a Rams situation all over again. Uh, but, you know, Seattle still, you know, the, the the Packers aren't turning the ball over much either. Zero turnover differential. Tied for 17th in the NFL this season. So definitely a few things to keep an eye on. Aaron Jones has rushed for 494 yards this season. That's three less than Chris Carson, who's run for 497. So hmm. I'm, I like that battle. You know, you forget Green Bay defensively still with Clay Matthews, but they traded HaHa. You know, yeah. so you they were like, are they in sell mode? You know, how valuable is HaHa? And... I wonder what kind of capabilities. I mean, I'm not. They were torched on the ground in the first half by Miami last week, and then you know Brock Osweiler and Lambeau in the second half kind of did them in. So I know before that they were giving up 31 every game, but the Rams they held the Rams though at 28, didn't they? So yeah, well, yeah, yeah, or 31 29. 31 29 was yeah. the score in that one, but. Yeah, and then obviously, you know, we're looking at receivers. T-Lock has had a great year for Seattle, yeah. but doesn't even hold a candle to what Devontae Adams has done so far this season. You know, he has the nine touchdowns, Devontae, 787 receiving yards. Tyler Lockett is Seattle's leading receiver, uh, but 483 receiving yards and seven TDs on the season, though, yeah. for T-Lock. So he's looking pretty good. Punting, by the way, just real quick here. J.K. Scott for the Packers. Is his uh how is he not he's an author, right? That's a pen name. Yeah, JK Scott. Harry Potter, I think, right? <laughs> uh his net punt yards thirty-nine a game to forty-four for Michael Dixon. But Michael Dixon has landed nineteen punts punts inside the twenty. Nineteen nineteen. JK Scott ten. So something else to keep an eye on. You know, Dixon had a couple of rough weeks there, mid you know, kind of weeks three and four, but yeah. he's really been obviously he's a been bright spot good. for them. He'll be great for a long time. I'm not feeling any type of clear way about this game, Perkins, as we make our picks. I mean, I want to pick the Seahawks primetime at home. Atlanta went in there on a Monday night last year and beat them. Buffalo went in there on a Monday night uh, a couple years ago now and and arguably could have won that game. Um, Seattle playing at home in primetime. I don't know if it scares scares anybody anymore. I think it's still a tough place to play. I could see Green Bay winning this football game, if I'm being completely honest with you. Yeah. And yeah. the spread says two and a half, and I think a lot of betters are coming in on Seattle. I'm just a little bit wary of it. I, I was impressed by how Green Bay competed at the Rams. They had the ball in the fourth quarter in Foxborough with a chance to take the lead. Ended up losing by two scores, but at one point in the fourth quarter, they had a chance driving for the lead. You know, I think they're better than we give them credit for. I will go ahead and still pick the Seahawks, but I do think it's going to be a close game. And I'll go ahead and say, you know, Seattle wins it. They hold on defense in the end. I think Rodgers gets the ball last. Seattle holds on defense in the end and uh, wins this football game 27-24. to 24. Damn. I wanted to go. Been, you and I have been in sync all season. I have 26-24 Seattle. Yeah. Yeah, because I think uh, see, I was trying I think to see Janikowski's going to miss an extra point. Really? <laughs> I don't know why, but well, I just. What about Crosby? I mean, talk about yeah. guys that have missed. Yeah, I mean, they just you know need to widen those goalposts another like eight inches, and he wouldn't yeah. he'd be just fine. Um, yeah, I, I agree. This is a hard one, but this is a game that Seattle has to. I, well, I mean, both teams have to win this game, right? I mean, they Green do. Bay, you're talking they're falling to four, five, and one in that division where the Bears are playing as well as they are, and Minnesota is obviously a. I feel like still not reach their potential that that we think we could I see think from Minnesota's them. Minnesota's just going to keep better, getting better and better. This is a team that I think both teams look like a a win and you're still in it. You lose and you have a very tough road to hoe. But 
Seattle cannot lose a home game to an NFC opponent that is going to be fighting for wild card position. You just can't do it. You yeah, don't have right. the wiggle room. If Seattle loses this game, they're done. So I think that they go out and get it done at home. Okay. Um, and I think the offense plays well. He's Brian Perkins. I'm Judah Newby. We'll come back Friday to recap this game. Thursday night football in Seattle, Seahawks and Packers. This is the Game Plan Podcast on 1029thegame.com.